Welcome to Recogs, the show where we learn how the world's best business operators build consumer brands from sourcing to selling. Brought to you by Manufactured. Manufactured is an online platform that helps brands manufacture, finance, and distribute inventory across 20 industries and 25 countries. If you're interested in learning more, check out manufactured.com. Our guest today is Jonathan L. Boz, founder of Boz. Boz produces the gum line cleaner that targets your gums to keep them clean and healthy. We discuss how he decided to start Boz from prototyping and finding the right manufacturers, why his initial sales channel just didn't work, D2C and getting the Erewhon, and much, much, much more. Without further ado, here's Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. How are you? Doing well, doing well. How are you, Mike? Doing well, doing well. Thanks again for coming on the show. Um, so want to talk about your company, Boz. What was kind of the aha moment or the moment that kind of led you to, to, to found the company? So growing up, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, the problem was I never really knew with uh, deep clarity what it is I wanted to, to do as far as what type of business I wanted to start. Um, my, so my father is a, is a periodontist in Beverly Hills. His specialty is fighting gum disease. And we, we were chatting one evening and he's the type of person where he, he was like lamenting the products that his patients are using to help them fight gum disease. Uh, because a lot of them just haven't been innovated in the past 30 plus years. And, um, so they're, they're bad products that patients don't enjoy using. They come to see him because, uh, their oral hygiene isn't up to par because of in part because of the products that haven't really been innovated. And so he thought of an idea of creating um, a clinically effective product that could help his patients uh, improve the oral hygiene. And I took it one step further and I thought, why don't we start a brand instead of a product? Like, why don't we widen this up uh, to create a brand? Back then at 2017, um, the players in the oral care space, the quips, the bursts, etc. They aren't the big powerhouses that they are now. And so I really saw an opportunity to basically capture space in, in our bathrooms by developing a clinically effective, user-friendly, um, and also eco-friendly um, products. So that's kind of how that started. That's awesome. Now, what what specifically on the innovation front, and if we can talk a little bit about the R and D that you had to do um, for the first uh, for the first bit of of starting what became uh, Boz, what was not being innovated on from like a product standpoint um, that that you feel that that the Boz uh, cleaner has been innovative? That's a great question. Um, so, from my standpoint, a lot of products that are on the market are uh, single functional. By that, I mean uh, toothbrushes are used for plaque removal. And then there's also a niche product called the gum line, um, called the rubber tip, uh, that is used to uh, massage the gums. So what we kind of saw is products are either developed to remove biofilm or massage the gums. And we thought, why not fuse the two together? Um, so that's what... Uh, that's what we wanted to do because we also know, Mike, that like giving people more steps to follow, more products to do, sometimes be can become a burden. And if you're already using one product, like is it really necessary to kind of, uh, you know, kind of add on a lot of other things to your routine? So we not we thought like why not um, 
number one, like fuse the two products together, but two, we also wanted to make the product uh, user-friendly. And by that, I mean that the materials that we use, especially for um, the tip part that is supposed to trace along your gum line for our gum line cleaner is incredibly soft. So I'm not sure if your users can actually see the video or if it's just gonna be an audio format um, for your community, but uh, this is our, our gum line cleaner in, in one of our colors. And the tip here is ultra soft. So if you kind of notice, um, there's no sharp edges over on the tip. There's no likelihood for you to uh, scratch uh, and harm your gums. And that's also a big difference from the gum massaging tool that's on the market. It has a very um, sharp tip and it's very pointy. So right out the box, if you accidentally misuse it, you can poke scratch and cause bleeding to your gums, which is obviously the opposite of what you want to do. So uh, to kind of go back, we wanted to fuse a few benefits together and we wanted to make it a lot more user-friendly. It, was that kind of difficult? Because I'd imagine the reason why that those other products are hard is because you, you need to remove their their aim is to remove the biofilm, right? Um, but the um, but the soft products I'd imagine are more to massage the gum. Um, has it been hard to um, let me know if that's right? First of all, and secondly, um, uh, has it been hard to actually find that kind of balance um, when it comes to actually um, building out your product? Well, so what's interesting is um, when I mentioned the hard material, so this is, again, our product. Um, there's a product that uh, I guess aesthetically has a rubber tip, but it comes out to a pointed, a pointed tip at the end, which the pointed tip is not needed because the product isn't meant to kind of go in between the teeth. So it's not, doesn't need to be that pointy and making something that sharp in addition to the the uh, the durometer of the material hardness of the material is just kind of overkill in our experience um the the idea be behind gum stimulation is that when people have gum problems whether them they are receiving gums or bleeding gums or inflamed gums um a hack towards helping people alleviate these issues is to massage the area Massaging the area, the gums, as well as any part of your body is promoting blood flow to those localized areas. And so when you're improving blood flow, your blood, blood is carrying oxygen and other key healing ingredients. So we wanted to take that effect on the body and um, basically target that through the gums so that um, the gum health can improve. And what we've noticed from a clinical standpoint is uh, patients that have used the product um, in their their post operative visits, uh, they have uh, decreased bleeding, um, improved gum health. Um, so the recessions are decreasing; they're getting healthier, um, and also the inflammation, the swelling is is greatly decreasing. So we want a product that's soft. We want a product um, that isn't going to cause irritation to the soft tissue, which is one of the most gentle parts in our body. And as far as um, the ergonomics and the design, what's really interesting is it's a conical shape, so it, it's able to really curve to the angles of our teeth because our teeth are not flat. Um, our teeth are curved and there are angles to it. And our product designed the way that it is, is really able to um, basically uh, curve to the uh, curvatures of your teeth, if that makes sense. So.
How did you go about creating your first prototype? So we had a family friend that was, uh, he had worked in the manufacturing and engineering space and he gave us a referral to an industrial engineer who did the, some mock product designs. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to give him inspiration for uh, how the product should look, uh, specifically width, height, any sort of design elements that we wanted to incorporate, similar things that are on the market, um, ratios, things like that. And from there, we basically had a product designer design several mock-ups of a product, and we would refine and refine and refine um, to the point where we got uh, a model that we really liked. And once we had that model that we really liked, the next step was to go into manufacturing. And what we had to, had to do was balance the design form with the um, what is able to be engineered. So design for manufacture, it's like DFM, it's like an acronym that a lot of manufacturers use. Um, and so we needed to make sure that that was doable and that was the next step that we went into. And how long, how long did that whole process take? The design process, I would say, took between um, one to three months. What was, I guess, like the minimum order quantity that you had to do in, when it came to, to, to ordering your first batch? And how did you overall think about which distribution channel you wanted to start with? Yeah, so I'll try to plug in some holes after because there really was a lot outside of the product design um, element of it. Once the product was designed... Um, and we ha we first got some prototypes, some 3D prototypes, um, just to make sure that it looked good, it felt good. Uh, and then once that was done, we went over into manufacturing and we had to create a custom steel mold for our products because uh, the nature of manufacturing for, for some of your list listeners who aren't as familiar with it, um, you have to create molds and the molds uh, create a product, um, usually in, in large quantities. Um, but I, I ended up going to different because I don't naturally have a network of people that are in that space. So I had to go to, uh, conventions actually. And I met lots and lots of, uh, manufacturers. I was able to get quotes, um, was able to learn about their processes. And I lucked out to get uh, a local manufacturer, which is really nice. Um, that also had, um, relatively low minimum order quantities. So like our MOQs are 5,000 um, parts at a time, which isn't, yeah, which isn't crazy. And the part prices are also uh, in line with what we're able to uh, spend as well. I appreciate you, you saying how you're able to find the right manufacturer by going to uh, trade shows to um, uh, to learn and, and kind of interview different manufacturers who is who's the right fit and that's that's great I mean I mean I imagine there's a, there, there's there's a lot of advantages with having like a local manufacturer um, uh, with you as well which is great yeah what you know what's nice Mike is um I would even sometimes go to these uh, conventions and I would bring like my 3d parts with me and I would bring them and I would show them to the manufacturer and say so you know what do you think it would how long do you think it would uh, take you to make something like this? Or how much do you think it would, you know, and I would jot notes after every conversation that I have with um, these people. Because mostly the people that are going to these conventions are 
either going to be in sales, but sometimes there are engineers. They, they bring like an engineer or two that, that is at the table. So you kind of get like a free consult, which is nice. <laughs> um, especially if you bring a par that you can, that you can talk about. Um, and also at these conventions too, there are usually like people in related uh, fields. So for example, uh, materials, like materials companies and suppliers and stuff like that. So like one engineer will tell me, oh, go check out like RTP or, or like another company that makes materials. And I'll go and I'll share, you know, the parts that I have and they'll, they'll show me like, um, like materials that are similar. And, you know, because different materials in the mold kind of work differently because they have different properties, you know? And so if you have like one steel mold and you put material A and material B, they're going to come out differently because they have just different, um, different parts. So it's interesting. So, yeah. How did you land on like the final materials to use? And was there a particular material that has been like tough to source um, or maybe more expensive than you, than you thought it would be? Well, so first I wanted materials that are FDA compliant. So that was a, a big thing for me. Um, I also wanted materials that are uh, durable is another thing. Uh, so for the tip, for example, I really wanted a silicone-like material um, because it's tear resistant um, and it's also very soft. So that was something that I looked for in that specifically. I also wanted materials that are uh, eco-friendly. So on the spec sheets for the materials, I, I would ask if they are recyclable. Um, and there are different grades with which they are recyclable, but um, that was a, a key element that I wanted. And, um, yeah, and then also readily, readily available and also materials that aren't, um, aren't overkill for what they are. What's interesting is that there are certain industries like aerospace, for example, where, um, performance, uh, materials can cost significantly more than other materials. And that just kind of comes down to, uh, you know, things that are, They'll have like absurd, like either like chemical or like tensile, like elements that just make it like unbelievable. And, you know, we don't need that level of performance just like from a day-to-day, -day, you know, perspective. So um, I just try to kind of keep it to what, um, what I described earlier as far as like FDA compliance. And I wanted something that was durable and recyclable um, and, you know, readily available um, so that, that's kind of what I was envisioning people experience with on a day-to-day -day basis that, that would make sense for them. No, that makes, that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, um, in terms of how you, how you're thinking about it when it came to wh which particular, what, what quantity, what qualities you were looking for, um, in your particular materials. Um, talk to me a little bit about the distribution. What was your first, how did you think once you, got your 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 minimum order quantity and now you have product how did you overall think about the distribution side to um to boss you know what's interesting mike is um i had a very crystal clear idea for what would make a lot of sense um and i it wasn't until i actually started working on that funnel that i started realizing more about it, you know, because you could theorize before you really go to market with something and it can make all the sense in the world, right? Um, our initial framework was let's sell directly to dental offices. We'll sell it to them at wholesale numbers and dental offices perform treatment on patients where 
this product makes a lot of logical sense as an add-on to that treatment for at-home care. Um, the idea, why I thought that idea would, you know, carry a lot of weight is because when people are in their dental offices, A, they're thinking about their teeth, B, they are speaking with uh, professionals that more often than not they trust, uh, C, when a professional gives a recommendation that carries added weight than if someone's like scrolling on their phone and see an ad or whether they're at like a CVS and they see dozens of competing products lie next to each other. Um, and then also D, if you have, uh, if the patient has any questions, then they can get answers to that question by their professional right there. So I always saw dental offices as being the perfect storm for distributing dental products. Um, now, what I didn't foresee is that dental offices just do not like, um, I don't know if, I don't think selling is the right word for it or um, recommending or bundling or distributing, um, but there's some sort of block, which is really interesting. And that's at least how dental offices have been like up to date. Now, I don't know if this is like a blockbuster model that's just, you know, just outdated and going to be, you know, kind of taken over, um, by some other model, but, um, dental offices even have a hard time, uh, selling like Sonicare brushes, like electric toothbrushes from, you know, companies that have massive budgets, um, which is really interesting. So, um, it's not just a product thing. It's just an, an industry, a category thing. Um, and so that was like, that was our realization. Our, uh, our thought was going to dental offices would be great. The dentist can educate the patient. The dentist usually would order bulk items at a time, which is also nice. Um, and there's also recurring elements of it as well. Um, but we had to, we had to shift a little bit because we were just noticing that, um, that framework as, as logical as it was in our minds, just the practical day-to-day -day just didn't really live up to that so why when it came to that sales channel why don't you makes all the sense in the world how you're thinking about it and okay this would be such a great distribution uh channel for us because you have um because of course as you say when someone is is there getting their uh getting teeth work they're going to be thinking about their teeth and improving their teeth and and the and their um their dentist right there if they give a recommendation um, that has a lot that carries a lot of weight to it. Um, why do you think that that sales that um, as a sales channel doesn't didn't doesn't quite work overall? Like you said, they even have a hard time with Sonicare products. Is it because um, dentists just don't really want to like promote products? Do you think, do you think that um, uh, I mean, I'm just trying to think like, even like my experience at dentists, like, my dentist never, never really promotes products. I even have to ask, um, uh, I even have to ask her, um, uh, like, what do you recommend when it came to, um, a toothpaste, you know, but, 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 but it was never, you know, she telling me which toothpaste would be good for my teeth, if that makes sense. What do you think in your mind, um, um, is like, is like the challenge about this sales channel? Yeah, that's a great question. So dentists usually, and I'm speaking about, the, the community that I know, dentists typically own the practice. It's either a private practice or sometimes there's corporate dentistry and DSOs, but 
let's say if we're talking about private practices in which the dentist owns the practice, um, usually a lot of dentists that I know are not necessarily preventative focused. Um, dental hygienists are more preventative focused. But in areas that I cover, dental hygienists don't own their own practices. And I know there are states in which case, in which dental hygienists can own their own practices. But um, in California specifically, or areas that I know of specifically, it's usually the dentist that is kind of managing that that end. A, they're not a preventative – A, these dentists are not preventative focused. Um, and the second thing too, Mike, is um, – a dentist has like chair time, right? Only so much chair time with their patient. And let's say if the patient is running late, for example, or let's say their next patient's running early, for example, or if there's some sort of complication, right? They don't want to maybe spend five or 10 or 15 minutes like answering preventative questions from you when that time can go into their next $3,000 case that they're waiting on, that the patient's waiting in the operatory room for. Um, so it also kind of comes in, there's also like an economic sense to it as well, which I understand. Um, and I think it's also talking about, um, when you have a second product, there is another step in the process of the dental office. And for the dentist, it kind of adds another work function to either the, the dental hygienist or the front desk staff the dentist saying, Hey, like, are you recommending this product to the front desk staff? Who's already trying to check in the patient, check out the patient doing uh, case presentations to the patient. Like, you know, it's just kind of, yeah, it's adding another step. And then when you kind of look at a dental office, um, there usually isn't like a lot of room for like inventory. So if you have a product, for example, like this is actually our our packaging for like air one. But if this is operating some space, you only have like a fixed amount of space to, to hold it. And when products are selling out and you need to reorder it, it just kind of, there, there does become some steps that you need to, you know, kind of reinforce to your front desk, how to promote it, when to promote it, when to reorder. And, um, yeah, I think there are a few different elements that, that come into play, which I now understand. That makes total sense um, as to why um, why there wasn't like the right uh, sales channel initially. So then, so then once you realize, okay, this is not maybe the right sales channel, what then did you pivot to when it came to distribution? Yeah, so we are active, a direct-to-consumer. So we started pouring more efforts into that as far as uh, – really building uh, social networks and trying to build communities, uh, especially with dental hygienists, um, people in the dental field, but also uh, communities of people that are just health and wellness focused. So um, we started creating profiles. We started working with content creators that were clinical and also non-clinical. Um, we started doing some brand giveaways and collaborating with other brands. Um, and newly, we got into Erewhon, which is our, our first retail account that um, that was got that done earlier this year. We're super we're super proud of, and we think that retail is another frontier um, going into the end of this year and following years that will be very strong for us. How did you get into Erewhon? Did you have to apply there, or did they come? Did they come um, and and reach out to you? We we had to apply. We had to apply with Erewhon, and. Um, 
they have uh, they have submission forms for brands for consideration and I think that we had a really strong story to pitch to Aerolon. Uh, we are local as they are in Southern California. Uh, our products are premium. Uh, our products are uh, eco-friendly. And um, yeah, we, we had that nice story about uh, being being a local business, uh, being um, really health and wellness focused, which I think their their target customers can really relate to. And I think one interesting thing is uh, when we set up direct-to-consumer, we had a certain packaging form factor, which we use these lay-flat pouches. Um, and what we learned with Erewhon, a couple things, is that, number one, they needed a different packaging variant because they wanted our product to be able to stand up on their shelves. So we had to then introduce this, um, this stand-up box with a hanghole to kind of give it added versatility. And we also had to work with the supplier too. So Erewhon doesn't, or at least when we applied, didn't um, purchase direct from brands. So I basically, I looked at all the suppliers that they were working with. And before we started working with them, I wasn't working with a supplier. And so I had to, I contacted each of them individually uh, several times. Um, And a lot of them were food and beverage focused. There weren't a lot of, uh, suppliers that work with uh, health and beauty uh, products and uh, eventually to kind of get some attention from them I reached out to them to some of these suppliers and I said Erwan wants to sell our products but they won't buy direct from me can you at least fill our orders to them and that got some responses and I was then able to work with the supplier and change the packaging so we we're eventually approved to sell there can you can you explain that to me a little bit a little bit more on, on the distribution side and how it actually works with with Erewhon? so air with Erewhon, you will they only will um if they accept you to be in their store you have to use one of their suppliers is that is that right um what is what does it actually mean so does, it, does that mean you have to sell your product to the supplier and the supplier sells it to Erewhon? what what is that um what is that dynamic great question um so how it works for us is um Erewhon is using uses uh uses several suppliers one of them being pod foods uh pod foods is a supplier that we use and uh pod foods has a, a vendor dashboard for us online what happens essentially is um pod foods will send me an inventory request when they send me an inventory request, that means that I have to put these boxes into an inner case uh, of, of several of these products. And then I put those inner cases into a master carton. And I have to ship this out to um, the 3PL warehouse that they work with. Um, and once those products are in the warehouse, the products are then scanned and then added to the pod foods um basically network of available products. And then Erewhon is able to see that Pod Foods has our product in the inventory. And then Erewhon orders it direct from Pod Foods. Um, Pod Foods then takes the product from the warehouse and they make regular shipments to Erewhon. So um, I don't so in other words, like I'm not driving to these Erewhon locations and putting the products on the shelves myself. Um, 
I'm just putting it in a, a warehouse that the supplier then, you know, they take goods from and then they make their own, um, you know, stops over to Erewhon to fill the shelves. Got it. So with, with Pop Food, they're also the the distributor as well, right? They're actually the ones that are distributing like the products from um, from the brands to to Erewhon. Is that is that roughly right? Exactly. Yeah. And Pop Foods works with a lot of like food and beverage, and I, I'm sure they work with like health and wellness brands. But um, yeah, they have. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of they're like a directory of of different products that they have available. And Erewhon then just like logs in and they just, you know, they, they buy what they want to buy from Pod Foods and Pod Foods then just takes care of delivering it to them. So, yeah. Got it. So they're, they're, they're kind of like the, the distributor uh, between, between you and in this case, Erewhon. Un- understood. And, and in terms of um, Pod Foods, like, do you have to have like the finished goods to them? Do they also um, help on the packaging side at all um, on the new ones? Or is that, or is that all taken care by you? What, when it came to that new packaging uh, that you had to do for everyone. Got it. Yeah, we do everything. So we, I send pod foods, the finished product. Um, and uh, yeah, everything has like uh, barcodes. So there are barcodes for the final retail product, barcodes for inner cases and barcodes for master cartons. And um, yeah, everything's ready. So they just open up, um, you know, the different containers and then just load these up on the shelves. Um, but yeah, they're ready to go. How do you think when it comes to um, replenishing inventory and ordering new inventory, how do you think about balancing? Um, you obviously have the, the, the D2C channel, which is what you started with. And now you have one retailer. How do you think about how much product to actually order? And also at the same time, it's it's different too in the product, um, not the product itself, but the packaging is different as well. Um, how do you think about overall, like what percentage to actually goes, you know, to uh, uh, to Erewhon via Pod Foods versus like D2C? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, what's nice is that... Um, we do since we do have to order like in bunches of 5000 plus units at a time it's typically the case where we we buy a lot of inventory and we're then just kind of assembling it and putting it in different types of packaging we haven't yet run into the case where we're constantly ordering more or we have this backlog of inventory we're still nimble enough to where we can accommodate orders on the direct-to-consumer side and orders on the retail side. Uh, We have a bunch of um, pouches and boxes still that we have left over. But um, what's nice is that I'm going back to the same packaging people. So they already have our invoice, they already have our order, artwork, etc. It's not like I'm doing a lot of legwork. Um, And the turnaround time is pretty reasonable as well. So... um, that is also like pretty good. Like I can get um, uh, like thousands of these in about a month, which is nice. Um, so I guess that's also the benefit of having everything made here is um, we're really quick to um, we're really quick to get uh, you know new stock, new product in, and we're agile. So yeah. 
That's awesome. I mean, it's great that you also have quick turnaround in terms of the product that you're able to actually produce um, in what seems like large quantities in, 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 in not that much time, which is great. Um, what's been, um, how do you also think about um, on the Erewhon side, like investing in Erewhon to make sure that that, that will be a successful um, sales channel for you and a, and a profitable one long-term? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So keep in mind, I don't have experience um, in retail for brands before. So this is all like very new to me. And what I will say though, I got tremendous help from uh, just a random LinkedIn message actually. Uh, I, was, um, I was messaged on LinkedIn by someone who is a consultant for the CMTC, the California Manufactured uh, I have to send you the link after because I don't want to butcher it. But what that organization did was it provided a grant that translated to a consultant helping me uh, work on my business. And uh, the consultant that I got was an expert at retail. And so her and I, her name is Wendy, and she is wonderful. I highly recommend uh, Wendy um, for people that are able to work with her. But um, Wendy really helped give me ideas for ways in which I can make sure that uh, my journey at Erewhon was going to be successful. So getting on the shelves is one is one thing, um, but then getting off the shelves is very important because if you get on the shelves and your product isn't selling, then you're in some danger zone because chances are the, um, you know, the, the market or the retailer um, may want to introduce new products to see how they're doing. And to introduce those new products, since there's only a finite amount of space available, they may have to offload some of the poor performing products that they have available. So you really don't want to get into that poor performing product um, category. So as far as ways in which I've tried to be a good partner to Erewhon, I have done a team trainings with our gumline cleaner. So by that, I mean, I would schedule time with each of the Erewhon locations and I would drive over with um, boxes of inventory samples for some of the Erewhon team members. And I would just like educate them about the brand and about the product. So specifically, if you walk into an Erewhon and a team member, um, you know, kind of catches you looking at our gunline cleaner and, and you ask them, hey, so what does this product do? They'll be able to tell you more often than not, um, Oh, this is the gumline cleaner by Boz. It was made by celebrity periodontist in Beverly Hills. It's meant to help people fight gum disease. And I'll give you the whole, you know, spiel without me being there, which is nice. Um, so that was like one, one like really fun thing that I was able to do. Um, and sometimes I would have like kind of fun contests for the the team at Erewhon um, as well. Um, so that was like a kind of like a fun thing um, that that they would all enjoy and. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's about like generating excitement from the, the people that are there that are presenting your product to, uh, customers and people that come by. So that's what we've seen. No, that's awesome. Um, cause I'd imagine it's, it's, it's a bit harder since you're not a food and bed product, a, a new food and bed product where you can't just, um, sample and having, and, and having samples at, you know, grocery stores and, and and what have you in order for people to try it and see if they like the product or not right it's um uh that must be a bit you know since you're not uh, one of those products that's that's um uh that's you know to actually show 
um, to show people how this would, you know, help your gums, help your teeth. Um, it's a difficult kind of um, ask for them to like understand. So totally makes sense on, on your side to kind of educate, um, educate the people that are working there about, about Boz and, 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 and the overall product in order for them to educate, educate the, the consumer as well. Yeah. And also give them product to try at home as well, because if they've used the product at home, then they can, you know, it's actually funny, Mike. So I walked into, um, actually before I did any team training, I walked into one of the Air One locations and I was just curious where my product was, um, like lying on the shelves. And I, um, one of the, uh, one of the people at the store kind of comes up to me and, and asks, uh, if I'm looking for anything specific that they can help me with. And I, I just told her, I said, oh, I'm just looking at um, some of your dental products. And she said, well, is there somewhere I can guide you? Are you looking for toothpaste products? Or are you looking for other types of oral care? And I said, no, I, I have toothpaste. I was just looking at your other dental products. And I, I kid you not, Mike, she said, well, there's this really interesting gum care product called the Gumline Cleaner by Boz. Uh, we just got this in not too long ago, and my mom uses this product every day, and she loves it. I was staring at her, and I was just trying to hold my excitement back um, to the point where I was like, I should hire you. <laughs> and she, she was like laughing, but she didn't understand like what was going on. And I said, I'm Jonathan Elbaz with, with Boz. And she goes, oh, my God, like, that's so cool. Um, but uh yeah, it's really funny. Um, so sometimes I've had like an experience like that, which is really, really rewarding. That's awesome. That's so, that's so cool. That's so cool. How also do you think about financing um, your inventory as well? Um, as well as now, since you have multiple sales channels, how do you think overall when it comes to financing? Are you, th- are you, are you thinking about using debt? Are you thinking about using cash? What are you thinking um, currently? Yeah, so I would definitely think about using debt. Um, I would definitely think about using debt. Um, I would want to preserve as much cash uh, as possible because, I mean, yeah, getting product into the stores is one thing. But like I mentioned, like making sure you have the resources to advertise so that the product can fly off the shelf is so important. Um, and um, yeah, I'm actually right now, interestingly, interestingly enough, in a position where I'm looking into uh, financing methods. I haven't yet finalized something, but if I wanted to place a bulk order, for example, uh, I'm looking into solutions or ways in which I can finance that because some, some people will pay you 0% up front and they'll pay you, let's say, 90 days after receipt or 60 days after receipt, which means you have to finance everything on your own and hope that there's no modifications or any tweaks to that, right? Um, yeah. And if it's six months later or nine months later, I mean, you could be in a, you could be in a tight, tight spot. Um, but I, I'm still exploring. I'm still exploring that, those ways, but I'd be more comfortable uh, with debt. Um, personally, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's 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 one of those things that in this market, obviously, with any business, cash is king. You you can't run out of cash, and it makes sense when you have like a net a, a net sixty and at ninety that you um, you need to exploring debt because just cash flow wise, it just it just it just doesn't work. You really um, 
that's 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 a lot of cash to put into the inventory cycle. Also, it's difficult too, just because rates are so much higher now than what than what they used to be as well. So you're also juggling with that too. I, I know you're an emerging company, um, but have have you have you had any so far issues with dead stock or inventory that you've been unable to sell? Ooh, a dead stock or inventory I was unable to sell. Um, you know, fortunately, I haven't been in a dire position to where that would affect me that much. Um, yeah, there are certain parts that were made um, that weren't sufficiently molded well or they were molded poorly, um, in which case I would just like to throw those parts out. Um, so like the, c- certain parts of inventory kind of squeeze through QC w- without red flags, but I would later take care of it. Um, but there hasn't been any crippling, um, there hasn't been any crippling, uh, event that I've seen that kind of prevented me from, um, uh, from, uh, from selling. Now I will tell you though, Mike, there has been sometimes, um, I've, uh, sometimes I've gone to the, the factory and I've picked up parts and I've had to inspect parts on the spot. Because sometimes they've made um, one skew that I didn't want, and uh, they they loaded that up, and I've said, "Look, these aren't what I wanted. This isn't um, the part number that I requested." And then they would have to go and do a new batch. Um, but I caught it pretty early on, so it wasn't like um, I was out of inventory and relied it and relied on product that was the wrong product, and I was out of stock and didn't have a way to fill my customers. So. Fortunately, I haven't had that experience, but um, that's uh, that's the closest thing I would I would mention. Makes sense to me because just because you're also a durable product, um, where you know if you don't sell the inventory, um, all the inventory, you know, the next three months, it's okay. There's no real hard expiry dates, I'd imagine, um, unlike there are with Food and Bev. So you so so you don't really have. Um, you may not have um dead stock as much dead stock issues. I, I I feel like the only dead stock I'd imagine is just because of the packaging. Where like if you weren't able to sell um in store, for example, with that packaging, then maybe you have to repack package in order to sell it online. But still, like you can still repackage it, um, and what have you. Um, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, my final question for you, Jonathan: What would you value more today's market or today? What would you value more? $100 of inventory, $100 of COGS, or $100 cash? $100 of uh, inventory. If the number was different, if the number was higher, maybe I would change my perception on things. Just because I think with $100 of cash, there isn't a lot that I could do with that on the marketing front that I could then use to like propel sales. Um you know, and we do have a subscription element of our business. And so it's always good kind of keeping people subscribed to have inventory to fill those, those orders. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're asking me about, let's say 10 grand or more than that, and I'm thinking that I could work with some, uh, influencer partners that have great reach and a great track record of promoting product, then maybe that my answer would change. But um. no, that makes sense. I mean, I, how I see it like on face value is, you know, since that hundred dollars of inventory is worth more than cash, then then take inventory every time. Right. Because you can, because if, if there is any type of demand for your product, then 
um, that hundred dollars of inventory is gonna be worth more. At the same time, um, as a previous guest pointed out, um, you know, there's very few products that literally just sell with no marketing dollars attached to it. So, um, so you you will need some money to um, on on the marketing side in order for um, um, in order to uh, uh, to have again get into the hands of consumers. Uh, but um, yeah, I re- I really ap- appreciate your response. It's great. Of course, yeah. I think subscriptions are really um, are really uh, a great a great vehicle for a lot of companies that can offer it. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that was also playing a you know role when I, in my thought process. But yeah, cool. Um, well, Jonathan, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for your time. Of course, you as well. Take care, Mike. And there you have it. It was a pleasure chatting with Jonathan. Jonathan, thanks again for coming on the podcast. This show is brought to you by Manufactured. Manufactured is an online platform that helps brands manufacture, finance, and distribute inventory across 20 industries in 25 countries. If you're interested in learning more, check out manufactured.com. Thanks for listening.